chapter behind the scenes. All right, we turn to Scripture today. We're in our Ephesian journey. We're in the midst of the fifth chapter. And Paul has been talking to us for the last two weeks about putting the past behind us, the darkness and the old way of life, and letting the light of God turn us into someone new, a new life, a new character, uh, a new heart. And in that journey, how do we do that? What does that look like? And so Paul this week tackles and takes us into the key to living in the light. You want to know the key to living in the light? Well, let's find out. Verse 14, if you have your Bible on your phone or in your hands, you can read along with us. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to the one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? So Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. Work in our hearts and lives today. And as Paul commands us, I trust you will do in us today, both here and listening on the internet, Lord, that you will come and fill us to the full because we need you in this moment. So come, Holy Spirit, guide my words and thoughts and help us all embrace your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, as Paul uh, takes us into next steps of what it looks like to let the darkness of our past go and to live in the light of Jesus Christ, he reminds us of the days in which we live. And in describing those, those days, he doesn't mince words at all. He says, y'all remember, the days are evil. And because the days are evil, you have a choice and you have a challenge. The choice is, are you going to live wisely, claiming the time, owning the season, trusting that God wants to accomplish something in and through you that he can't accomplish in and through anyone else? Or are we going to be foolish? Are we going to be unwise and miss the opportunity to live for him? So that's the challenge he gives us here today. Don't be foolish. And if you're not going to be foolish, he says, understand what the Lord's will is. Brothers and sisters, the only way we can know God's best, the only way we can live at God's best is to understand the will of God. And that will is often a lot more about our character and how we treat one another and how we live this life 
than about what we do today or how we brush our teeth or some of those other details. The will of God is, is kind of how do we let God be with us in all our choices and decisions? And Paul tells us today, as we walk through life, keep walking wisely, making the most, seizing every opportunity because the days are evil. And we know that. If all you have to do is you look at the news, look at what's going on in our culture and all our challenges. And Paul has already taken us through all those challenges, the challenges that we have of of living selflessly, of, of keeping to the commands uh, in particular, you know, not lying and not being greedy and not longing for more, but instead uh, putting away anger and not allowing bitterness to be in charge, not allowing us to, to turn to be spiteful to each other as human beings, to put all that angry stuff away. Then last week we talked about, he says, put your sexual brokenness away and find sexual wholeness in living in the light of Jesus Christ. And so he challenges us to live as new kinds of people. And the only way we can do that is to understand the will of the Lord. And the only way I know to understand the will of the Lord is to be a student of this book. I've been reading this book not every day, but probably five or six days a week since I was in ninth grade. I've been reading it. I've read it. I've, you know, I've probably read the Old and New Testaments through, I don't know now, probably 15 times, maybe more. I don't know. I just keep reading it, keep going through, because I want to understand what the Lord's will is. And, and I know John Wesley said, if there is a book that shows me the way to heaven, give me that book. I want that book. That's going to be my main book. Because Wesley, our founder, understood that the key to living life is understanding the will of the Lord. And the way we do that is through the grace of Jesus Christ and through the scriptures. And so we want Jesus again to wake us up when we're asleep, to help us rise from the dead, Paul writes, and let Jesus shine on us a way and that we learn to be people of light who live in the light and love in the light. How do we do that, though, Paul? How do we do that? And the key comes in verse 18. In 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And here is the key to living life in the light. We cannot do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. If you think you're a Christian and you don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in some way, shape, or form in your life, then you need to kind of adjust to the fact you may not be a Christian because Christians are people who have welcomed into their heart and life presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to look at what Paul says in all of Ephesians about the work of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. We're going to do that. But first of all, he begins with a comparison. He says, listen, guys, in the ancient world, you would drink wine more than water. Why? Because water could make you sick because of the parasites and stuff in it. So the ancient world was a world in which like drinking a weak wine was like normal. That's what everybody did. But even in the midst of that, he reminds them, don't get drunk on wine, though. 
Don't let alcohol be in charge of your life because that is debauchery. What's Paul saying here? He says, he says being filled with the Spirit is kind of like the effect of wine on our lives. Now, why do we drink, those that choose to drink? I know not everybody chooses to drink. I, I've drink, drank very rarely in my life. It's, it's, I'm more of a teetotaler. I blame my granny and granddaddy on that. Uh, it's their fault for their influence on me. But, uh, but for those that do, why would you drink? Well, I know some, you just, it's something you like to do once in a while. Maybe for a special meal. Uh, my parents, they love to have a beer with pizza. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is about that, but they, they like that combination. So, uh, you know, some of us, it's just sort of like that. It's, it's a small part of our life and something we kind of enjoy. But for others, it can turn to become unhealthy. Uh, in some of my churches, we would host AA, and in AA, there would be a group of folks. It didn't matter. Some it may be attorneys in there. There may be people on there who are homeless. They people on there who are working restaurants and all sorts. I mean, all sorts of people would come to AA, but they had all learned that alcohol would not fix their life. Because some of us, we use alcohol really as a crutch. We use it in a way to try to numb our pain or help us deal with our stress. And Paul is especially warning those of us, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's opioids or whatever other narcotics are out there, whatever those substances are, maybe some, for some of you it's shopping, I don't know. But whatever we use to try to numb our pain or to help us through the day or deal with stress, those things can become toxic. And destructive. And so, one, he shares this image, I think, to remind us that alcohol is a substance that if we let it, it can control us so that we're no longer in charge, but the drink is. And he says this in a day where you couldn't even get a DUI, right? The only thing you could get was maybe, uh, you know, uh, falling off a donkey. That was probably the ancient DUI, right? But yet he mentions this even in the ancient world because he saw how it hurt and poisoned many people. But, and I'll look at the phrase there. He says, which leads to debauchery. Uh, the, the literal translation of the Greek is it leads to anti-salvation. Anti Isn't that interesting? It, it works against the salvation of God. The control of alcohol, the influence of alcohol in our life ultimately works against the saving influence of Jesus Christ. Whether it's we're driving under the influence, whether it's at a party and it leads us to make bad decisions that we regret later, you know, whatever it is, Paul saw how it could poison our lives. And so he says, listen, if, if you think alcohol is to be the the fun party thing to do in your life. You know, a lot of our college students probably need to hear this sermon, right? If you think, because, uh, well, I'll be honest, uh, my, my daughter Abby's an RA, and she's RAing freshmen. She already had at least one freshman girl come in who just had gone too far, and, uh, and she had to end up going to the doctor and, and all those kind of things. And, and so, I mean, this is what Paul's warning about. If, if you think alcohol is the real deal, he's like, why are you settling for an imitation? Why are you settling for an imitation? 
if you want to be under the control of something that will help you deal with life, if you want to be under the influence of something that will help you live life better, if you want to be under the control of something that will help you live in the light as God is in the light, then you don't want to mess with too much alcohol. Instead, be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you let Him be in charge of your life, He brings all the, all the good and none of the bad. He brings you closer to your Creator, not further away. He brings you more into the light, not heading back into darkness. And so Paul reminds us here, be filled with the Spirit. And that word, be filled, the verb there, it's a, it's a present tense verb. And whenever there's a present tense verb in Greek, that means we don't just do it once, but be filled over and over and over again. Learn to live life, keeping your life full of the Holy Spirit. That's what you want to do. And so this is what he challenges us with today. And so to take, a, I want to dig a little bit deeper in how does the Holy Spirit uh, work in our lives. And so let's turn back a little bit. We're going to zip back to chapter 1, verse 13, where Paul mentions this. He says, when you believed, you were marked in Jesus with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so Paul says here, he begins with us to help us understand that when we believe, when you choose to place your faith in Jesus, what God does in response is he begins to change your life by bringing the seal of the Holy Spirit and involving this Holy Spirit in your life. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're marked with God's promise, and in that it is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance on the day that God redeems us as his special possession, his treasure. We have become God's treasure, our assurance of that is our faith in Jesus, and our faith in Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit sealed us for the kingdom, has sealed us for the kingdom. And so uh, when you become a follower of Jesus, there should be a sense of assurance in your heart and life. You know what? I wasn't God's child before. I was living in darkness before. I was angry before. I was mad before. I was broken before. But now... Because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come, has sealed me, and I'm somehow, amazingly, I'm a part of God's family. And as a part of God's family, as a son or daughter of God, God has said, I am in line for an inheritance, an inheritance of eternal life, an inheritance of the kingdom, an inheritance of a new resurrection body, an inheritance of life eternal with the Creator. And that's good news. Because that hope is for all of us. Our faith should give us an assurance that the presence of the Holy Spirit is working and that presence reminds us whose we are. We are not our own. We are God's. And that's where the Holy Spirit begins to do its work in baptism and in our profession of faith and in saying a sinner's prayer or, or however we express our surrender to God and the Holy Spirit. 
But that's not all. He, he goes on and later in Ephesians, he reminds us that the Holy Spirit is the source of God's power and God's strength. It's the source of God's power and God's strength. And so uh, when we need spiritual resources to make it through a stressful day, when we need heavenly resources to study for our next test and do our best in school, when we need those spiritual resources to, to let our anger and our frustration and our bitterness go, it's the Holy Spirit that brings those resources into our heart and into our life on a daily basis, giving us the strength and the power to make it through this world and stay in a healthier place, in the place of light, right? Rather than the place of darkness. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul warns us in that fourth and fifth chapter that we've been talking about. He says, listen, though, in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, he says, uh, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so in this section we've been talking about, he's been talking about living in darkness and living in light, right? He says every time we begin to be sucked back into the darkness bit by bit, we're not just being sucked back into the darkness, but we're grieving the Holy Spirit we're, we're pushing it away. We're minimizing its influence in our life. And in, in contrast to that, that's why Paul says in the scripture we read today, we have got to continually ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up and to be in charge of our life on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Because life tends to wear us down. Life tends to pull us astray. And so at some point, we got to kind of re-repent and reconnect so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit by our anger or by our bitterness or by our brokenness or by our uh, lies or by our greed or by uh, all the other things that he just talked about over the last two weeks with us. And so he reminds us again, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to the debauchery or anti-salvation but be filled with the spirit and don't grieve the holy spirit now i want to share with you today some uh, some wisdom from the ancients uh, people have been studying paul's writings for hundreds of years and i want to share today we'll share one or two i want to start with one about this what it, what does it mean to grieve the holy spirit uh, john chrysostom uh, one of the great ancient preachers of the maybe about the fifth century uh, in the 400 ADs, John Chrysostom says this about grieving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says this, be ready for the Spirit's filling. This happens only when we have cleansed ourselves of falsehood, anger, bitterness, sexual impurity, uncleanliness, and covetousness. All those things we've talked about the last two weeks. It happens only when we have become compassionate, meek, forgiving to one another, only when fastidiousness is absent. And by that, uh, I had to look up this fastidiousness. It basically means uh, bad joking at an improper time. You know, making bad jokes when you should keep your mouth shut. That's basically what it means. Only when we have made ourselves worthy, only then does the Spirit come to settle within our hearts. Only when nothing is there to prevent it 
then he will not only enter, but also fill us. That's what Paul's saying. Break from the past. Break from the darkness. Let God take all that stuff away so that you can be open to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in that, uh, what, how does the Holy Spirit affect our lives? How does it shape our lives? Yeah, Paul then goes on and he shares with us today four ways that the Holy Spirit positively shapes us as human beings. Four ways. First, the Holy Spirit shapes how we talk. It shapes how we talk. Second, it shapes how we worship. Thirdly, it shapes our attitude. And fourthly, it shapes our relationships. Paul says it shapes these four ways. Our talk, our worship, our attitude, and our relationships. So let's look at those. He goes, after you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, he then says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, how many people come up to you and say, amazing grace, how sweet. This, you know, I mean, that doesn't really happen. You know, <laughs> but that's what Paul's talking about here, is that the way we begin to talk changes. In fact, I think he has in context what he's talked about before. Remember, about two weeks ago, he said, listen, when you're tempted to use potty mouth because your heart is angry and you want to use cuss words and all that kind of other stuff that just doesn't, it tears people down, it doesn't build them up, that's not who we are. And then last week he went on to say, and, and those who want to kind of tell, you know, uh, it kind of coarse sexual brokenness kind of jokes and jest and all that, that's also, that's not really who we are. Instead, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes how we communicate with each other, and we begin to communicate with each other in ways that lift up, that encourage, and that point one another toward the love of Jesus. That's who we are, Paul says. We're to talk to one another in a way that seems like we have in our heart and life psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can affect the words you use with your family and your friends and your neighbors. Secondly, the Holy Spirit can affect uh, how you worship. He goes on and says, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And so Paul, you can tell Paul has learned how much music shapes us as human beings and how mystical and amazing music can be. But here he says, let God put a song in your heart that just resonates through your life, that shapes you to become a person who loves to worship, who loves to connect with Jesus through music and through praise and through preaching and through all the stuff. Let that song live vibrantly in your heart. The Holy Spirit turns us into excited and passionate and vibrant worshipers. Now, I don't know if you know or not, you know, kind of our Methodist heritage, but back in John and Charles Wesley's day, you know, Methodists were known as being sort of a rowdy singing bunch. I mean, we like to sing loud. We like to sing long. We like to have fun, praising the Lord, praising Jesus. 
And I'm afraid somehow we've gotten too stoic in our day and age where we kind of lost a little bit of that. And, but that's what Paul's talking about. We should love worshiping the Lord. We should have a song in our heart. It should just flow out of us. I remember I learned this from my granny and granddaddy. My granny would be washing dishes and singing praise to the Lord. And he walks with me. And he walks with me. I can still see, see her, the little boy singing those songs. She had a song in her heart. And she was someone who wrestled with depression. But even with depression, she kept the song of Jesus in her heart because the Holy Spirit helps shape us in our worship. Then thirdly, the Holy Spirit shapes our attitude. He says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Learning to give thanks to God in everything. Having a thankful attitude. This, you know, we've been doing Bible study in our small group for a while, and this thankfulness piece, Paul just keeps bringing it up. Like, not just here, but in Philippians or in Colossians or in Romans. It's, it just, he, it's like, listen, if you can't be thankful, then, then you're on the wrong path. Because we are blessed and we have thankful hearts. And so I'm going to read another ancient forefather today. This one is St. Jerome. St. Jerome lived around 400 A.D. And uh, he is one of the main ones that turned the Bible into a Latin book. Uh, he translated the scripture into Latin. And this is what Jerome says about thankfulness and how we're to be thankful not just with the good times, but with the hard times. This is what he says. Now, Paul calls us to give thanks always and in everything, and this is to be understood in a double sense, both in adversity and in good times. In the way the mind rejoices and bursts out in gratitude to God, not only for what we think good, but for what troubles us and happens against our will. It's obvious that generally we're called to give thanks to God for the sun that rises for the day that goes by and for the night that brings rest, for the rains that come, for the earth that brings forth fruit and for the elements in their course. Finally, we're thankful that we're born, that we have being, and that our wants are sufficiently taken care of in the world, as if we lived in the house of an powerful family patriarch, knowing that whatever is in the world has been created on our own account. In this way, we give thanks when we are grateful for the benefits that come to us from God. All these things, however, the heathen or not Christian also does. And the Jewish person and the publican and the person in the nations, the Gentiles. But the second sense of giving thanks is seen in the special gift of Christians to give thanks to God even in seeming the adversity. Those who are saintly in their own eyes are prone to God because they have been released from dangers and afflictions. But according to the apostle, the greater virtue is to give thanks to God precisely amid those very dangers and afflictions. So what Jerome reminds us of is our attitude should be thankful not just with the good things, but with our stress, with our challenges, and with everything else. And then the fourth thing, 
Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us in our relationships. As he shares in the 21st verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The last work of the Holy Spirit that Paul mentions today is this work of helping us love and care for each other. Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us learn to live together in a sense of mutual submission. That one submits to the other and the other submits to the one. That we learn how to live in humble relationships in ways where we defer to one another in our relationships. And in any successful marriage, in any successful friendship, any successful family relationship, always at the root, I think, is this unconditional love, this unconditional reverence both for Jesus and if we have reverence for Jesus, we have reverence and respect for our brothers and sisters. We have reverence and respect even for those outside the church that we meet as we seek to live lives of humility, live lives where we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we're going to go deeper into this one next week because he uses this last one as a launching point for how do families work well. And so that's where we're headed next. But he begins by reminding us that one of the whole things the Holy Spirit helps us do is the Holy Spirit helps us to love each other through thick and thin, through good and bad, through even votes about disaffiliation from one denomination or another. The Holy Spirit helps us in these moments. Because of our respect for Jesus, we can love one another through thick and thin. And so, brothers and sisters, how's the Holy Spirit been working in your life today, in this week, in the weeks ahead? I think for some of us, we're very uncomfortable with the Spirit, right? But Chris, what if I start to speak in weird languages? I'm not comfortable with that. But Chris, what if I start having these weird dreams and I don't know what to do with those. But Chris, you know, we can come up with all sorts of reasons to say that's a little too mystical, that's a little too, I'm uh, not sure. But Paul reminds us that it's not optional. If we want to live in the light, if we want God's best, we're not going to find it in alcohol or drugs or anything else this world has to offer. He says if we want God's best, we've got to learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I've found is the Holy Spirit tends to come into our hearts and lives in ways that we can say yes to. Uh, usually, it's rarely that Jesus will wallop you over the head with his spirit. I mean, once in a while, but if so, it's because you need walloping, I guess. But most of the time, the Holy Spirit will come in ways that you can recognize, that you can realize, and that others around you will begin to say, you know what? Joe's been acting a little weird. He's not cussing as much. He seems to be nicer to his spouse. You know, I, I can't figure it out. But something's happened. Well, I don't know. I guess Joe got filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we close today, I want to invite you to consider praying a prayer with me to ask God right here, right now, to fill us all with the Holy Spirit anew. For the week ahead. And if you'd like, you're welcome to come down front. And if you come down front, 
I'd be glad to add to that prayer my prayer for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is here. We just happen to make a place that He can fill in our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, um, as we come to you today, I especially want to speak to those hearts who've always been a bit uncomfortable with your mystical presence through the Holy Spirit. But Lord Jesus, we thank you because in your death and resurrection, it was the primary gift you sought to give us. A seal that we're a part of a new family. A seal and fullness that can give us strength in our challenging times. A fullness that can help us live in the light of God's glory rather than hide in the darkness. And so, Holy Spirit, come today. Come fill my life. Come fill us all. Help each person here know that you love them, that they are your beloved, and that they can be filled with your Spirit too. The Holy Spirit's for all who call on the name of Jesus. And we ask you to fill us to the full as we sing our closing hymn together today, Lord Jesus. Let your presence fall. I pray in Jesus' name.